So what is the answer to the rhetorical question in the song we just sung? If God is for us, then who can stand against us? No one. No one. Don't forget that. Sometimes with the, the difficulties of life, we forget that the battle has already been won. The victory has been given to God Almighty because God is Almighty, sovereign over all. Uh, and even though as we live out each day in our lives, uh, we can trust in that fact and rest in that fact that God is for us and that there's none that stand against him, no one. So with that in mind, as we consider our time in the Word of God this morning, let's go ahead and bow once more uh, before we take a look at verses 29 and 30 of Ephesians chapter 4. Father, what a glorious, uh, joyous hope that we have in you. There's something to be said about resting in the fact that you are sovereign over all. That even when things are out of control in this world, even when things are uh, outside of our control in our own personal lives, we can rest in the fact that you are sovereign over all, that you love those whom your son has redeemed, uh, that you've given us your spirit as we know from verse 30 as the seal until the day of redemption, showing that we've been bought and paid for in full, that our sins have been cleansed because of Christ's work on Calvary. And through faith and trust in him and that righteousness that only he can give. And so, Father, may you help us to live in light of that, even as we live in a country that is, has been departing from uh, a, a country that in God we trust to uh, a country that trusts in themselves and in their own wisdom, their own knowledge, their own understanding, and not seeing that there is truth. And that truth is you. And so, Father, guide us in your truth this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we consider the title today, Choose Your Words Wisely. Because we have the capacity to say a lot. Sometimes what we say is good, sometimes what we say is bad, sometimes it would be better if we said nothing. But the fact is, is we have words and we should choose them wisely, because there is power in words. Uh, and we need to see that, you know, uh, as we think about our text today uh, and what it tells us to not do in relation to what comes out of our mouth, but also what should come out of our mouth uh, because that will determine whether or not we grieve the Spirit of God or not. But I'd like to have you just, you know, dial back a few years uh, to when we went through the book of James together. Uh, and if you remember, it had a lot to say about the tongue. You remember it talked about the tongue being small, but had the power to control, the capacity to destroy, that it is very unruly and unpredictable. And the thing that it pointed out there as we took a look at James in the text, it says that no human being can tame it. And that is true. The thing is, is that sometimes we operate in our own strength and we try to control our tongues when in reality we need to see that we can't tame our tongues, that we need God to intervene so that what comes out of our mouths is coming out of a heart that is full of who God is and not full of ourselves. 
Because that's going to determine what words come out of our mouths and whether or not they're wise words or foolish words. Vance Havener, whose faith is now sight uh, because he is in the presence of his glorious Savior, he said that the Bible has a lot to say about our mouths, our lips, our tongues. For our speech betrays us. What is down in the well will come up in the bucket. See, we need to understand that it is from the, the, uh, the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So whatever is in our heart, which can either be selfish desire, what is characteristic in our context of that old self, or can be that which we put on, which is the new self, and therefore what comes out is something that is glorious, something that honors God, that has a positive benefit not only in our lives because they are words that we are choosing wisely by the guidance of the Spirit, but also for the benefit of those that hear. So let's take a look at our text this morning there as it begins. It says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. That word corrupting uh, in your text is the Greek word sapros, uh, and it's only used eight times in the New Testament. Uh, And it has, by definition, means rotten, worthless, whether literally or morally, and and, and particularly uh, is mentioned of vegetables or animal substances, or as a tree and its fruit or fish. So, do not let rotten or worthless talk come out of your mouths. I want you to think about the pictures, the imagery that is given here, because it talks about vegetables, animals, and fruit and fish uh, in relation to the imagery to help us understand what corrupt talking looks like, but also smells like. You know, think about a rotten egg. You know, now all of a sudden you kind of got a little bit of a notion and you probably may even have been able just to smell what a rotten egg is like because of your, your ability to sense and remember things. If you've never smelled a rotten egg, I, I just, you know, would caution you not to. But what about rotten potatoes? They reek. As a matter of fact, they say that rotten potatoes actually is likened to rotting flesh. What about a rotting shrimp? You ever had raw shrimp go bad on you? You know, you could just feel it burning the nose hairs. You know, and, and just, you know, you think, can I ever get that smell out of my nostrils? Because everything smells like it now. It's as if it left a coating so that everything else smelled like it. Or have you ever been near a rotting fish? You know, it, it likens back to 17 years in Alaska where, you know, we had every you know, uh, kind of salmon swim up into the rivers uh, in, in any of the communities that we found ourselves living, uh, and even the ones that we didn't live in. Uh, there was a lot of salmon everywhere. Uh, I loved eating salmon. I would never think twice about eating a rotten salmon, you know, because after the salmon go up into the river, they spawn, and then, you know, basically for weeks, they begin to decay outwardly, so they start looking awful. They look ugly. And if you happen you know, to catch one on a lure because you're looking for good fish and you get that in there, you almost don't want to touch it because it just looks gross. Well, eventually they end up dying and they float to the shores. And 
you thought Ellington smells bad. And I, I think I've come to a point where I, I've almost forgiven you for not letting me know as I candidated for being the pastor of Ellington Baptist Church that the nickname was Smellington, and you were right. But that pales in comparison to riverbanks full of rotten dead salmon. I mean, you can smell it before you even get close to the river because it just literally fills the air as the, the rotting carcasses are everywhere. And if you had a dog in Alaska and you didn't train your dog very well, dogs like to roll in that. And we had friends, and trust me, those dogs didn't come into the house after that because you just cannot get that stink out. But see, this imagery, as you're thinking about all of that grossness, all of that, you know, the smells that you 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 can almost smell as you're sitting here this morning, is what we're supposed to liken corrupt talking to. Because when we actually speak corruptly, or as it says, you know, meaning that it's rotten or worthless words, that's the kind of picture we should image in in our minds, is that when... As the hearer, this is what they're hearing, something that's rotten, something that's worthless. And so the caution here is, is to let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths. And as Kurt pointed out uh, this morning as he read the the scriptures, you know, um, this does speak to vulgar or cursing language, but it's not just limited to that. Even though that is one thing that, you know, characterizes the rest of the world, it should not characterize those who have been born again. But it can also be improper jokes, improper stories, but all those things, and even words that we speak, say, to our children or to our spouse, to our fellow co-workers, or if you're a boss, over people. See, the thing is, is that our words have power. And if we're not careful, they can come out in such a way that they are a rotten, putrid smell to people's ears. They're probably trying to think, well, how does a smell go to ears? But see, that's the picture. It's rotten to your ears. It stinks in your ears. It's like someone telling you something that evil, that you know is evil, is good, and that the good that you know is good because God tells you it's good is evil. It, it, it violates your, your ears in such a way that it just reeks to high heaven of something that is rotting, decaying, awful, something you you don't want to eat, you don't want to be around, you don't even want to to even have it enter your ears because you know the moment it does, it's going to leave a, a bad taste in your ears. And I know I'm pulling all these, you know, things together, but that's the picture It's no doubt how Peter felt knowing that Jesus told him that he was going to betray him three times. And in Matthew chapter 26, verses 74 and 75, it says, Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter, remembering the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me Three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
See, Peter invoked a curse on himself and swore that he did not know Jesus, which fulfilled the prophecy of what Jesus told Peter he was going to do. But you notice Peter's response. Because what was ringing in his ears, what was, was you know, ringing in his heart, wrenching his heart, was the fact that the very thing that Jesus said he was going to do, he did, causing him to weep bitterly. See, the thing is, is that when we have corrupt words coming out of our mouths, it should be just that same way. We should weep bitterly because what we have done is we have put out there into the, the ether around us things that are not good for our ears to hear or for the ears of someone else to hear. That's what the way the rest of the world is. As they're telling the, the, the you know, off-color jokes, as they're you know, taking the Lord's name in vain, you know, whether they're you know, in an argument with their kids or their spouse or, you know, their, their boss or, you know, someone they just, you know, decided to have road rage with and, and hop out of their car and, you know, you know give them the, the, the two cent, you know, you know, of whatever. Those kinds of things are things that we should not be looking to give a foothold to. Because we know when we do, it's going to have a bad or negative effect. If you look just a couple verses later in chapter 5, verse 4 of Ephesians, it says they're rather speaking the truth in love. No, wrong verse. Verse, five, or verse 4 of chapter 5. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. See, let no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, because that all is part of the flesh. God never crudely jokes. God never tells something that's filthy. God doesn't speak foolish words. And therefore, that should be how we live our lives because, as it says there, they're out of place. Now, if you're an unbeliever and are living in the flesh, then that is part of who you are. And that's the place it should be. But again, we've put off the old and put on the new. So that's not who we are any longer. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words are powerful. And they can be used for God's glory or for your own selfish desires and ways. And the question is, is which one are you going to choose? Which one are you going to have the Spirit guide you in? So Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But then he gives us three things to take a look at that characterize the kind of words that should be coming out of your mouth as opposed to this rotten, worthless talk. He goes on to say, but only such as is good for building up. So those I call good words. Good words are words that edify, that build up, that encourage growth in godly wisdom and holiness because you know that God has changed you and therefore you want it to, to change who everyone else is around you. That you want the word of God itself to be alive and have its good effect in their lives. So that it affects not only their minds, but their mouths as well as their actions. 
If you look back at chapter 4, verse 15, which is the verse I read just a moment ago, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. See, the thing is, we're supposed to speak the truth. And what is not characteristic of the truth, what is rotten and worthless, is those things that are vulgar, that, those things that are cursing, those things that are improper. Those things that are filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, as it says. Because those things are death. They're not life. And it says that we're supposed to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So as we speak those good words, what we're doing is we're growing in our faith. We're growing as that body of believers, growing as the the church of Jesus Christ so that we can be a good witness and so that when people hear our speech, it's not like the rest of the world. They don't need more examples of what they are like. What they need is to see someone who is like Christ in their speech. Psalm 37 verse 30 says, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. See, when the truth of God has its work in our hearts and our minds, then it is going to affect our speech in such a way that it will utter wisdom. Not the wisdom of men, but heavenly wisdom. Wisdom from above, as James says. So that it will draw that person into a set of uh, lifestyle actions that is godlike and not earthly-like. A tongue that speaks justice. So in other words, it doesn't speak lies like we looked at as the the first of these four. But instead, it speaks the truth. It speaks justice. So good words for building up. Second, he says there as the verse continues, as fits the occasion. So I call these germane words. See, because sometimes... When we engage people, when we talk with them, there are times when we need to figure out what is the, not only the best words, but also the amount of words. Because different situations, different occasions call for different interactions. Yes, you may know the truth, but if you don't say the truth in love, or if you know the truth and you pound the truth into them over and over and over again, like my kids accuse me of every time I discipline them. I heard that this, this past weekend even. You say the same thing over and over again, Dad. See, Proverbs 21, 23 says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. See, there are times when we need to keep our mouth So that it isn't something that is rotten, something that is putrid, something that is not good for those that hear. Because just because you have a lot to say doesn't mean you're going to say anything. And the way you say it is important as well because it needs to fit the occasion. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So sometimes your response to somebody, maybe your spouse, maybe your kids, needs to be a soft answer. Even if this is the same thing they've done over and over and over again. Realizing that the only one's going to do anything to change them 
is God himself because you are sharing the truth with them. Because a forceful answer is not always the way you should respond. Sometimes it needs to be a soft one. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Sometimes instead of being very quick to respond or to cut off somebody at the past because you have the, the very answer that they need and you know it's going to change their life forever. Sometimes you need to just listen. Because even as they are speaking, they may begin to hear what they're saying. And if they're a child of God, the Spirit can even work in them as you are just slow to speak for them to have the Spirit resolve the issue without you even having to speak anything but say, you know what, you're absolutely right. Do you see how that happened? Or Ecclesiastes 3.7, there's a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Sometimes you shouldn't say anything. Not one word. Because maybe your heart's not right. And you know if you speak, you're going to be speaking out of anger. You know, there is a such thing as, as you know, um, oh, I can't even think of the word now. Um, anyway, I'll go on. It'll probably pop into my head here in a moment. Maybe I just need to keep silent for a moment. <laughs> verbal abuse, that's the word I was trying to kind of come out. There's a such thing as verbal abuse where we can use our words and use them as weapons against someone. And the thing is, sometimes we shouldn't say a thing at all because if our heart's not right, then we are not going to speak rightly. We're going to speak out of the flesh and not out of the spirit. Good words, germane words, and third, gracious words. He says there at the end of verse 29, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious words go a long, long way. You'll notice that it says, seasoned with salt. Well, we know what salt is good for. You know, we sprinkle salt on food in order to bring out the, the flavors of food. It makes food taste better. Well, sometimes as we are gracious in our words, it's like our words are making the situation better because it's, it's causing those words to be better to hear as opposed to words that are spoken harshly or in the wrong context because you're just upset or angry. And we know that salt also is used to preserve things. So sometimes that salt can actually help preserve somebody else from making a fatal error because you take the time to be gracious in how you respond to them as opposed to the opposite of being stern and pushing something on someone else. Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Honey is good. 
And our words, when they're spoken in grace, are like honey, sweet. You'll notice it says, sweet to the soul, to the very core of who you are. Because all of us can speak in anger. All of us can speak a lot of words and vent out everything that is coming from within and coming out of a heart that is not thinking of anyone else but themselves. But it takes God and his spirit to season our words in a gracious way so that they're sweet to the soul. And it says actually health to the body. So gracious words actually bring healing to the body. You know, in, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus finished reading the, the scroll from Isaiah as he was reading on the Sabbath day, uh, in verse 20, it says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22 says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So even Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, spoke the truth But the words he used were gracious words, so much so that they marveled at how gracious they were. And see, oftentimes the religious leaders were hammering them over the head, saying that you need to obey the law and everything that we tell you you need to obey. And when Jesus opened up the word of God, it was with grace. And he took that truth and and used it in such a way that it marveled people, spoke spoke to them deep down in their souls. See, there are power in your words. Will you choose wisely and speak good words, germane words and gracious words? Then all of a sudden, Paul places verse 30 into this you know, list of things that we've been looking at where we've been talking about lying and anger and theft and today's speech. And he puts verse 30 there. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It almost seems as though it's a verse out of place. But yet as we think back over the, the whole book of Ephesians so far, the, you know, the first four chapters... Paul, in, in, in specific places, kept speaking about the Spirit. And the thing is, we've been talking about unity, and we talk about practically living out the Christian life. So the thing is, we cannot live the Christian life apart from the Spirit of God. Because it is spiritual in nature. And who better to guide us in a spiritual nature is the Holy Spirit, God himself. Because if we operate in the flesh, if we operate in our own strength, and we operate in our own ways, we will accomplish things. And they may even be good things as far as the world is concerned, but they'll be devoid of what God can do through us. And so he says here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This is the Greek word lupio. It's used 26 times in the New Testament. It means literally to cause grief or to offend 
The same word is used in John chapter 21 when Jesus is talking to Peter. And Jesus is asking the repetitive question, do you love me? Listen to verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked that question. Do you love me? So much so that it grieved Peter to the point of being offended by the fact that Jesus is asking him this question when he knows everything and he knows that Peter loves him. But see, the thing is, think of it in relation to what we do when we don't do what we should be doing in the power of the Spirit. For instance, lying or having fits of anger or stealing or using poor words over and over and over again. See, that grieves the Spirit. So what are some ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit? I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Instead of just giving you a list of things that grieve the Spirit, I figured I'd give you a text to go to. And chapter 3, verses 12 to 17 are things that you should do in relation to who you are in Christ. And so we're going to look at this through a negative lens. So instead of what we see here and what it's telling us to do in the affirmative, we're going to look at it in the opposite. Starting in verse 12, it says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So we're going to do the opposite. If you want to know what grieves the Spirit, then don't put on as God's chosen ones. Instead, be unholy in your actions, and act as if you're not one of God's children, one of the beloved. That grieves the Spirit. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So don't be compassionate, don't be kind, don't be uh, uh, humble, don't be meek, don't be patient, and you'll grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, bearing with one another. So... Don't bear with one another, and you'll grieve the Holy Spirit. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So you want to grieve the Spirit? Don't forgive others. Forget what the Lord has done in forgiving you. Verse 14, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So don't put on love. Don't seek harmony, seek division. Be an island to yourself. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So don't be, you know, let the peace of Christ, knowing that you've been reconciled to God, be part of your, your, your life now as a born-again believer, but instead live at odds with And don't let Christ rule in your heart. And be thankful. So, 
don't be thankful for all that you are in Christ Jesus, that you have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you each and every day. Be unthankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So in other words, don't let the word of Christ, don't let the word of God dwell in you. Do those five steps of having your best life now. Seek out worldly wisdom and live in light of that as opposed to who you are in Christ because that'll grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't teach and admonish one another. Let you go ahead and live in sin and do whatever you want to do. Live in your own wisdom and understanding and knowledge and not in that which is heavenly. Don't sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Don't have thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything for yourself instead of in the name of the Lord Jesus. Don't give thanks to the Father through Christ. So you're never going to look at this passage the same way now, are you? But see, the thing is, the very things that we are, we are commanded to do and putting on all of these things... If we do the opposite of that or just don't even heed that command, then we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And I thought that would be a good way for us to look at as opposed to me telling you that these are five things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Because what grieves God? S-I-N. Everything contrary to who God is. Charles Spurgeon says, I think I now see the Spirit of God grieving when you are sitting down to read a novel and there is your Bible unread. You have no time for prayer, but the Spirit sees you very active about worldly things and having many hours to spare for relaxation and amusement. And then he is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things better than you love him. And he summed it up. See, the thing is, is when we, we pretend or live as if God doesn't exist, then we are grieving God. We are grieving that Holy Spirit, the one who regenerates, who indwells, who baptizes, who seals, who fills and sanctifies every believer. We are grieving the Spirit who is our guide, our teacher, our enabler, our convictor, our comforter, our intercessor and witness. What we are doing is we are turning off the faucet. We are cutting ourselves off from the Holy Spirit who indwells us and not taking advantage of and living the benefits of someone who loves God. You know, when we think of grief from a human perspective, we can be crippled by grief. Maybe from the loss of a loved one or for things not working out the way that you believe or, you know, uh, something happening in a relationship you have with, you know, your spouse or whatever the case might be. You fill in the blank of what could, can grieve you, so much so that people can be held captive by grief. Well, know this, that the Holy Spirit of God is still the Holy Spirit of God. And that, that grieving that we're talking about here never incapacitates the Holy Spirit. We cannot somehow box God in and, you know, Pretend as if God doesn't exist and the Holy Spirit isn't going to do what is for our betterment. But the thing is, what happens is, is when we don't live in light of it, we are missing out. 
Why wouldn't we want to, to learn from the Spirit who guides us in all truth? Why would we want to study that which is a lie, to, to live as if, you know, God doesn't exist? Why would we, we deprive ourselves as the one who can enable us to exercise more faith and trust God more and to see that God is sovereign over all and that everything that's happening in our country and around the world, all of it is still under God, the one to whom all of us have to give an account, and that God will not let one even careless word, the scripture says, go unaccounted for. See, that's what we're grieving the Spirit in and what we're depriving ourselves of when we don't live in light of who we are. The one whom seals us until the day of redemption. So in other words, it's God's stamp of approval to make sure that what Jesus Christ's blood paid for in full, he does not lose. The Spirit is the guarantee that when you die and when you translate from this earthly body and this earthly realm that you will enter into the heavenly realm where God is and will dwell with him forever in a glorified body fit for eternity because God loves you that much. And if we're not careful, if we allow ourselves to grieve the Spirit, give ourselves permission to do those things contrary to what the Spirit and the Word of God and the truth tells us to do, it can actually lead to quenching the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. That Greek word, spenumi, means to dampen, to hinder, to repress, as in preventing the Holy Spirit from exerting his full influence. The thing is, as believers, we can't get rid of the Holy Spirit. We do not have that power. We don't have that authority because it is God himself who indwells us. The creation does not say to the creator, the creator tells the creation, this is how things are, and you're accountable to me. So how should this inform our lives today? First, you need to see that when God changes the heart, then what comes out of the heart will also be changed. Let me say that again. When God changes the heart, which is a heart that is dead in its trespasses and sins, but has been made alive in Christ Jesus. When God changes that heart, then what comes out of the heart will also be changed. Because God is not about saving us just so that we have fire insurance for us to live however we want in this world. He is calling us to holiness, to righteousness, because there are others in this world that need to see that. They don't need more examples of what the world looks like. They have plenty of that. They are living that. What they need to see is believers living in light of who they are in Christ. And because God changes the heart, that which comes out of the heart is also changed. What are some precautions you can take in relation to your tongue? Well, with David in Psalm 141.3, he says, Set guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Did you notice that he didn't say, I'll set a guard over my mouth? There's no I will. He says to God, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. See, again, man cannot tame the tongue. God can. And so our prayer should be just like David, that Lord, set a guard over my mouth. 
Make sure that every word that I say is seasoned with salt, that it is gracious, that it is germane, that it is good. Because there are plenty of words that are not that in our world today. And they should not be coming out of the mouths of those who have been redeemed. 1 Peter 3.10 says, For whoever desires to love life and see good deeds, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Again, to live in light of who you are in this world, to have good days, to love the fact that you have been redeemed, that you are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins, and that the amazing grace of God has come into your life and transformed you. Live like that. And the best way we can do that is by making God's word part of our everyday life. James 1.21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. See, we cannot expect to tame in and of ourselves what only God's word and God himself has the power over. We can try. We can be better than the world around us. But in order for us to tame the tongue so that everything that comes out of our mouth glorifies God, we need the God who made us, the creator who made us in his image to work in and through us for his will, for his glory, for his good. That's how we can speak words that are good, germane, and gracious. So my challenge to each one of us as we think about this, as we come to the close of this section, you know, we've looked at lying and telling the truth. We've looked at, you know, uh, be angry and not sin, not let the sun go down on your anger. We talked about not stealing, which is more than just stealing candy bars, because we can steal from God in all kinds of different ways. We steal from God when we don't live like we're supposed to, when we speak words that we're not supposed to. We're stealing glory from him when we do that. Or maybe it's in your speech, like we talked about today. So ask yourself the question, do you grieve the Holy Spirit in any of these areas? Because they're here for a purpose. This is not just more words to fill your mind with more knowledge for it just to be a, you know, a card in the card catalog that you can reference. That does date me. So it's meant for it to do something. It's not just a resource. It's meant to practically make change. And so my challenge to you today, if you're married here today, I want you to do this exercise with your spouse. If you're not married here today, then I want you to find somebody that you know is a good brother or sister in Christ that you can talk to to ask this pointed question of you. And you have an opportunity to be honest with yourself or not honest with yourself. And ask, do I grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the one to whom I am sealed to the day of redemption, because I still lie? Because I still get angry? Because I, I, I take away from others, myself, and from God? Or I let corrupt words come out of my mouth. Not just cuss words, but words that tear down and don't build up. Because I'm you know, emotionally and verbally abusing someone that I say I love. 
See, these are the tough questions. And the reason we ask them is because we know that when we ask them rightly, the Holy Spirit is going to bless us in ways we never imagined. He's going to free us from bondage to things that have no more reign in our lives other than the power that we give to them. So stop giving in power to the things that we mentioned. Stop giving power to lies. Stop giving power to anger. Stop giving power to stealing and to speech that does not honor God, does not glorify God. And I challenge you to do that because we need to be edifying one another, building up the body of Christ because we are one in Christ Jesus. And when we do that, it's going to draw us closer together. And even more, as we see the day approaching, not only the assembling of ourselves together, but making sure that we are the bride, pure and ready for our bridegroom who is coming. To not be necessarily like every other church in the area. We are Ellington Baptist Church. But we are part of the bride of Christ and we should be ready. Our lamps should be full because Jesus is coming. One person in the congregation believes that. Jesus is coming. We sung it this morning, riding on the clouds. So do that because it'll be for your betterment personally be for your betterment in your relationship with family. Be betterment in relation to Ellington Baptist Church as a body of Christ. So that we can all glorify God together. So that we can all live in light of who we are in Christ Jesus. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this Sunday morning that you have blessed us with. We thank you that we have your word that we can read and study and apply. And so, Father, we're asking for the strength and the ability to apply your word today. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Can we do it in our own strength? Absolutely not. But by the power of your spirit that indwells us, stand back because we know you're going to do great and mighty things, that you're going to change us, continually transforming our minds, continuing to have your truth change us for our better and for the betterment of those around us so that we stand out like a sore thumb. We should not look like the rest of the world. We should be different, polar opposite because you've changed us from the inside out. We have a hope. We have joy. We have peace. And we're not just thinking about the here and now, that instant gratification of getting what I want, when I want, and how I want. But it's thinking in light of eternity, because this is only a drop in the bucket. So, Father, grant us that today, through your Spirit, that we would not quench, that we would not grieve, but we would live in the power of the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.